Big day, big day, big day. We're grinding. We're here all day. I'm basically just doing what Armin does every day, but me one time. And it's a huge day. You live here. You shouldn't even pay rent. Actually, maybe that's what you do because I remember when I asked you, hey, you live at home? You said, no, I live on my own. Is that what you meant? That you live here? Yeah, I'm in P3 parking here. Yeah, you just move room to room. You could do it. This place is big enough. This place is big enough. And it's open all night. You could, you could move around. Privacy is a bit of an issue, but... Yeah. You, there's some booths. There's some spots. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not that you couldn't sleep at work. It's that the first time you get caught sleeping at work... That's, pro- that's about as low down the shame totem as you can go, right? That's the bottom block. Our engineer, Neil, <laughs> yeah. just taps me on the yeah. shoulder in the morning. Actually, the first time you could kind of get away with it because you'd be like, man, I, 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 I was doing this late shift here, and then the next day I had to be in. I, I had to be in in the morning. You could pull that off, right? Because you do leaf stock stuff at night and then back here in the morning. But it's the second time. The second time you're doing the Lenny from Simpsons. Please don't tell anybody how I live. That's, that's you the second time around. Anyway, busy day because we've got some tapes later with Chael Sonnen, with Dricus Duplessis, the challenger for UFC 297 in the main event. That's going to be great. So tomorrow, a lot of you, Jeff Saturday coming on tomorrow. Busy show, busy day. Bobby Marks today to talk about Siakam and then, of course, Good Hour. So we'll be here. We're here all day long, grinding. So Siakam gets traded. It was, we, we got, it was the slow burn, slow burn. We got, hey, this thing is an advanced talks. Big win for Shams. I didn't, but Woj was a day late. Woj was a day late. And our guy, Jake Fisher, was the, he, he pumped the brakes on this sucker. So we went, oh, are we doing this? So I gave some thoughts yesterday. So you should kind of have, if you listen to this podcast regularly, then you should know sort of what my general feel is. If you follow me on Twitter, then you know I, I, I got in the mud yesterday. I was battling the, the, and the, 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 the reply guys. It's hard, not to, it's hard not to get in the mud with the reply guys because I am a reply guy at heart. But I know there's no winning for me. And I know that there's no... You know, the thing about the reply guys is if you give them something, they're never like, oh, that's, you're right. That's the kind of, that's the, oh, that's the perspective. It's just, it's a new, they'll just keep moving the bar. They keep getting deeper into the mud and you go, oh no, I'm neck deep in the mud. I can't get out of the mud. Ah, that sucks. I don't want to die in the mud. So I, I, I refrain, even though, God, I wish so bad. You got, I got to tell you, day I get fired from here. You, I might just change my Twitter handle to Mud Boy. <laughs> just Mud, Mud King. Let's go. I'm getting in the mud. I'm getting in the mud again. Uh, okay, so here's, here's what I thought. First of all, I, I don't love it. I really don't. I, I think it's a very underwhelming return. And it's a very strange position that the Raptors have taken in terms of the quote-unquote rebuild on the fly now where they've added some pieces that work. They added in a trade that I think most of us like in the OG and Anobi deal. But it, it just it keeps going back to the Yaka Pirtle decision, the original sin, the, the apple in the Garden of Eden, which is why did you, why would you remove a first-round pick that had a, a solid chance at being a lottery pick in 2024 with the messaging of, we don't like this draft. We're not interested in this draft. It's a very poor draft. Hey, Jakob Pertl's a, a really good player. He's going to help us figure some things out right now. And then later on, 
we're going to pivot and sell you on three first-round picks, two of which are in this draft. Huh? Okay, so you're going to get probably some picks between 18 and, God, 30 in a draft that many are calling the worst in years. Worst in a very long time. And, and we'll talk to Bobby about that and see if it's overstated because sometimes these narratives build and they, they get a little off the tracks. You go, okay, or a little too far down the track than they actually are. I'm sure the Raptors can find good players, but that's it. You got two first in this year and then uh, an unknown quantity that's going to be in 2026, which you would anticipate Siakam's still in his prime. And Tyrese Halliburton, who's 23 years old, dead smack in the middle of his prime. So to those of you that say, well, you can get players in the back half. Look where Pascal Siakam was drafted. Yeah, look at all the other players that were drafted over the last 10 years between 20 and 30. You can get Desmond Baines there. You can get Pascal Siakam's there. You can get DeJounte Murray's there. Of course, Nikolai Jokic was a second-round pick. So was Draymond Green, right? Of course, that you can find value there, but the likelihood is way, 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 way diminished. So spare me the idea of this having a ton of value for the Raptors. And the, the other part of it is you go, well, what did you expect? The, he was a pending free agent, and he didn't, he didn't promise that he was going to resign anywhere. Well, the Pacers clearly feel as though he's resigning because they're not giving up those assets unless they feel as though there's a strong chance. And then even right away, we, the, I, I've never really understood the tampering rules. Maybe Bobby can explain it to me. But right away, reporters are going, well, he's got a great relationship with Tyrese Albert, and they feel like they've got a good, strong chance of resigning. It's like, yeah, everybody knows where they stand here. They're not going to be going in blind with the Siakam contract moving forward. It's pretty clear that they're going to give him somewhere, I'm guessing, near the max, and they feel like that's going to be able to get it done. Or maybe they'll match whatever's on the market. Who knows? but they're going to probably retain this player. And I, I look at this and say, okay, yeah, I get it. This is it. But that's a salvage operation. Had you known that this was going to be the move and let's not forget Masai stood at a podium last year at the deadline and said, we feel like the deals that were offered to us today are the same deals that we'll be able to receive in the off season. And with Pascal Siakam, I'm not sure that that remained true. I think with OG and Anobi, the value stayed consistent. The interest stayed consistent. But it really seems like they fumbled the bag with a player who has won an NBA championship with them, a player who has gotten two All-NBAs with them, by far their greatest developmental story. And after Bobby, I'll kind of go down memory lane on this a little bit with Siakam because, man, you, this was a guy who, when he first came to Toronto, you didn't trust him in the dunker spot. Like, you didn't. To, to a guy that was closing games and at the very beginning of the 2019-2020 season, we were wondering if he was just going to outright replace Kawhi and the Raptors had another MVP on their hands. It's an unbelievable developmental story. But yeah, you, if you go read Grange's article, which I suggest everybody should, it's up on sportsnet.ca right now about how we got here. You tell me you read that piece and you don't feel frustrated with the end result of what happened. Anyways, uh, Bobby Marks, ESPN front office insider, uh, one of the best, one of my favorites, one of the smartest guys. Uh, good morning, Bobby. What's up? How are you? Uh, I'm okay. Uh, I'm here, here's where I'm at. I'm happy that the Raptors are finally, like the new Raptors have arrived, okay? We, you don't have to talk about it. We don't have to talk about it anymore. It's, it's monopolized our conversation for the better part of two years, right? So good. They've got a clean and, and, and solid break. But to get three picks that project between the 20s and 30s, um, and especially two of which that are in a draft that the Raptors already indicated they're not overly interested in a year ago, 
Um, yeah, <laughs> I would say the return is a little underwhelming if you're a Raptors fan who was was thinking that you were going to get at least one blue chip asset for an All NBA talent. Well, I mean, we who knows where the pick in twenty six is going to be? Yeah. I, I, I think to say that's going to be a back end in the twenties pick. I think it's kind of premature. Um, yeah, I mean, the two picks this year, one's going to be in the late twenties, and one will probably be in the late teens, early twenties. Here, I think. I think a lot of it's been made about this year's draft is probably the top of the draft. Mm. I mean, I think that's that's kind of what, you know, hey, there's no blue chip prospect if you're picking number one or number two. It's not like this past year or next year. But there's always like, I, I you know, I, I, I find it funny in January people are already killing the draft. Mm. <laughs> I mean, it's like, just let them play it out because there's always players. If you have a good scouting department, you'll go out and find guys, or maybe you package those two picks and you move up to the 13th pick. Like, um, like OKC, OKC, Hey, OKC goes into every draft. They find guys, you know, there's guys out there to find. So I get it. I mean, listen, that you were basically, um, competing against, um, really the Pacers, you know, when you have a player that has a last year contract and is basically made it pretty well known that he wasn't going to probably resign in Golden State or Sacramento or some of these other teams here. And then, and then when you, you're backed up against what these new collective, these new rules are with the CBA where, you know, there are not many teams with an appetite to go out and get a third guy, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, say all you want about Pascal, he's not a top 15 player in the NBA. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to get a third guy, you know, you, you better make sure you, you know, and you, you rest of your books are pretty clean here. And that's why kind of Indiana, Indiana slides in here, and now it's you know I'm interested to see what's next for Toronto because I think there's still moves out there to you know I know they had a good one last night, but let's face it, you're you're at best you're going to be in the nine ten team mm-hmm. in the um in the, in the play in here, and we'll see what happens with uh, with Trent, and we'll see what happens with if Bruce Brown's going to be there because he can be traded again. Um, and and you've got some other expiring contracts, and we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah, I, I think it's more. There's you know, Siakam's also going to be. He's 29 years old. He's going to be 30 this year, right? Like and early this year, by the way. Um, before the playoffs start, Pascal Siakam will be 30 years old. And so, if you're a team and you're offering that kind of money, and you're talking about the books and the second apron, yeah, I can I can understand why the market was so thin. I think the more frustrating element for Raptors fans is if you made this decision earlier that you weren't going to max Siakam and you had a good read that this wasn't going to be the case, why wait so long when your team was playing this poorly? And when you're talking about those draft picks, of course you can find guys, but to move a first that is you know, maybe going to end up being a top 10 pick for Jakob Pertl and then receiving you know, like pretty much less value than that in this year's draft, not pretty much, like I would think probably less year than this year's draft for Pascal Siakam, it just feels like a, a really hard departure less than a calendar year later. Yeah, no, I get it. I mean, I try to look forward <laughs> and not back what happened. And I, and I get, you can say you've traded two first round picks and the past two deadlines for Thaddeus and then and mm-hmm. Pirtle. And that one hasn't even come to fruition with, uh, with, uh, with San Antonio. So I, I totally get it. I mean, if you, I mean, I guess the, the counter arguments say, why did they wait until now? And I mean, like at the end of the day, like, I mean, you guys saw with OG in, in late December, like it takes two to tango, man. Mm-hmm. Like teams are teams don't make deals in December really, or you know, this is the f- third trade in the NBA this year in the regular season, and two have been made by Toronto just because there's 
Yeah, you just kind of get into this holding pattern where teams are holding, you know, when there's a deadline, teams react differently when it's the first week of, of February here. And I think for I think for Toronto, they basically got to a point with both deals where, like, well, this is as good as it's going to get. Yep. Like, we're not getting better in February with OG and, and Pascal here. So you you move forward and you, you see what, you know, now you see what this group can do. Um and there's still a few more weeks left, and we'll see what happens with some of these uh, these, these draft picks here. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the doomsday scenario is that you just held out, and you get into the summer and you lose both guys. I mean, oh, at least yeah, that be. didn't happen because that's happened. Yeah, I mean, that would have been a fireball offense if that would have happened here. And it didn't. And now you get an idea as far as, um, you know, with RJ and Emmanuel, and um, you've got to figure out, like, kind of who your keepers are. You know, certainly mm-hmm. Scotty's part of that group. Um, who's, your, who's, your, who's your keepers? I think – you know, the day and age, I think if you had a do-over, I think you'd have a do-over on Pearl. I mean, the day and age and paying a guy $20 million for your center, it's, you know, that's probably not where you want to probably push some of your money towards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's funny because I, I think when I've been critical of Messiah over these past couple of years, it has been the moving too late thing where they've gone into these deadlines with Kyle Lowry and it doesn't end yeah. up happening, right? It, it, it backfires. They go into the deadline with even Norm Powell that year. They got Gary Trent Jr. back. Yeah. It was a fine sure. trade, but it certainly wasn't what people were expecting that season when Norm was having you know a career year and he was viewed as one of the more coveted guys at the, the trade deadline. They did it last year where they went, we've got Fred, and then in the 11th hour, it's the Clippers going, we'll give you nothing. <laughs> Raptors went, well, then we'll <laughs> roll the dice. I guess we'll roll the dice. Say, OG, Pascal, all these different things. It, it, I'm, I'm glad that he decided, all right, I've been trying to shop this player now for an offseason and going into the year. The value doesn't seem to be changing. His camp doesn't seem to be changing then fine. We're going to take what we can and we're not going to keep, we're not going to allow the leverage to shift back to the other groups. So I get it living in the now. It's all right. I just, I still can't stand the process of which they got here. And yeah, going back to that, you're right. You're, you're looking at it through GM mode. I'm looking through at it through fan Raptors person who has to live like a time traveler in every single dimension. I'm living in the past. I'm living in the present. I'm living in the future, but let's look at the future for a second here because you mentioned that draft and you are a draft guy and that's all you hear, right? Is this is brutal. This is an awful draft It's the worst that we've ever seen. Is that your sense of it too? Cause you said no blue chippers, but do you feel like there's some depth here? Cause I guess that's the way that you'd be looking at this through the most positive lens. If you're a Raptors fan is no blue chipper, but tons of good rotation players at least. Well, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I think we've, we've gotten spoiled in the past, right? I mean, we got spoiled last year with, with um, you know, with Victor, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then, but look what happened. Like, we talked, we pumped up Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson and the Thompson Twins and all these guys, right? Mm-hmm. Kevin Pelton and I did our rookie rankings on Monday. You know where Brandon Miller is? Not oh. mentioned in the top yeah, 10. I was going to say. Scoot Henderson's 10. Amen Thompson's not mentioned. The SAR is basically hanging on. Grady Dick, guys, I'm sure, was in Jaime, the top ten. No, no he was. <laughs> Jaime Yaquez is number three. Yes. He's picked 18. Brandon Prodzimski was picked 19th. He's number five. Derek Lively's at 12. So I think if you buy into the hype as far as, well, there's no blue chip prospects, that's fine. You know, there's no Cooper Flag who's in that 25 class and stuff like that. But I just... I don't like, I think that's great for like the, you know, the fans, the narrative that there's no like franchise level player, but mm-hmm. there are good guys that Jacques in, in Miami has been great. Like he can start for, you can come off the bench. Like you don't always have to draft a franchise level superstar in, in a draft. You could, you find two or three good players that can be part of your, a part of your system and everything like that. Um, that then it, then it's fine. Well, I think that's what the Raptors are seeing with the OG trade, right? 
Like in a vacuum, OG is better than those two players that they received. But you just see the way the Raptors are playing now. The added mm -hmm. ball movement, the added shooting, just more depth of ball handlers. And all of a sudden, they're watchable. You know, they go from yeah. Well, that's a, it. They're yeah. different. They're faster. They're they're more athletic. I mean, OG not like OG's not athletic, but they're just mm -hmm. they're different, right? Like mm -hmm. you have you have different depth. You put Schroeder at the in, uh, coming off the off the bench. Um, you know, um, you know, it'll be interesting. I, as I said, like I'm interested. Like, what happens with Bruce Brown? I, I thought that, I thought you know, it's funny. I it's funny. I I our my trade guides come out next week and. Originally, in the Raptor section here, like I said, like if you were asking Heald or Brown, I would want Brown because of his, you know, he's got a team option next year. You don't have to deal with free agency, mm -hmm. but he's got a ton of value around the league and he can help, you know, if you, if you want to keep him and then figure it out kind of in, in the offseason here. The Trent situation is going to be fascinating. You know, he had a terrific game last night. I mean, that's good. It's probably best game in, in Toronto in a long, in a long time. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's a 40%, you know, do you want to cash him and do you, can you get something else for him? Do you want to keep him? So as I said, you know, there's still a lot more to, to figure out here um, as far as where this, um, you know, where this roster is going to go. The, the Trent piece has always been really hard to nail down. It, you know, everybody you talk to is, eh, you haven't heard much on them and, Seems like there was no real market last year, and then it was, are the Raptors just going to bring him back? And he opts into his player option. And, yeah, a guy who in flashes looks brilliant. Even for the Raptors in their, their last postseason series against Philadelphia, you went, oh, this is a guy who can create his own shot in, in a big game, right? He can knock one down. He's, he's dangerous. He's got the pedigree. There's only, and then, but over the course of a season, when you watch a lot of them, it gets frustrating because... Yeah, he's he's really risky on defense, and that materializes yeah. in good steals numbers. But the actual foundation of his, you know, on-ball defense, yeah, he, he's a. I would say he's not the best defensive player. Let's put it that way. And then the, the yeah. shooting has been streaky, and it does, sometimes doesn't feel like he fits as well with some players as he should. But yeah, what is your? How have you gauged what his future looks like? Because yeah, I, I've I've never been able to knock down even remotely what it looks what what it could be. Yeah, I mean, I think as far as from a yeah, hey, listen, he can help. Um, he could probably definitely help a playoff team um, coming off the bench and kind of you know making you know stretching the floor a little bit and kind of you know come off and give you a quick seven or quick eight points. Now the problem is is that like who out there like all these playoff teams are in a luxury tax or in the apron. They don't have anything to trade and trying to match salaries with the guys making eighteen, nineteen million dollars is you know becomes a little bit, like he'd be great in Orlando. Right, but like you know, is Orlando going to give a Denver their Denver first to that to to um for a rental? I don't I don't think so. Um, that's the challenge. And as I said before, like you know, he's, he's you know the re big reason why he he didn't opt out and become a free agent because of the market. Like what the market's dictating now is that you've got two main guys, and then you've got your next level of like your your third best player is a twenty to twenty five million dollar player. Mm -hmm. like that's and then everything else kind of falls into into place like that and he's not your third best player i mean that's that's the reality of it he's probably a you know at this i mean 13 14 million dollar player in, in in the future but he's still a guy that can as i said come off the bench and, and, and make shots for you yeah uh it, it's weird because i go it, like le learning about this and this is your true area of expertise so you can tell me if i'm wrong but my layman's interpretation of this new second apron is that teams are just going to be so top heavy. And then it's going to be a lot that it's just, you have to find bottom of the barrel contracts. It's like, it's going to be the total. Yeah. I mean, like, listen, yeah, I, mean I, I, I think we have an article coming out next week about it. And I, I've phrased it this year is like, 
you know, going to the buffet line, uh-huh. you know, going to the buffet line at 11 o'clock and it closes at midnight. Everybody's trying to stuff their face because what, hap- what will happen is once we get past the trade deadline, there's going to be about seven or eight teams that are basically going to be extinct from making trades anymore because uh-huh. you're not going to be able to aggregate contracts. You're not going to be able to send cash out in a deal. Um, all these dip- these restrictions will start in the offseason here. Well, it makes it you better like who you have. Like, you better like your roster here because that everything else is going to be minimum players here. Um, so that's, that's the challenge here. And that's, you know, I mean, that's where, you know, you know Pascal going to Indiana because they only have Halliburton. You, know, mm-hmm. you kind of spread the wealth out a little bit here. And now it's, it's, a, it's a matter of, like, you know, you know, it's, you know there's already been good parity. Like, it's not like we're, there's a parity issue. And you look at the Eastern Conference standings here, but mm-hmm. the, the, the rules are going to get much harder. Um, we're kind of in this honeymoon phase right now, but coming once we get past February 8th, it's, you know, a lot of these teams are going to kind of feel bite to it. Yeah. I got to say so far, I'm, I'm, I don't love change anyway. You know, like I'm always like a, a reluctant to change guy, but I, I'm looking at this and saying, this feels like a real overreaction to a Warriors team. You know, like I know the Clippers are complicit in this too, but Yes, we had one special Warriors team. I don't know if we needed to change everything to try to make it even harder to make moves in a league where people really, really love the transactions and the moves. But um, do you th- again, this is a big part of why the Siakam trade ends up going this way and why the value isn't as high, and you, you hit it, is the, the Pacers had the money to spend around. Um, what, what was your read on Dallas in this and Golden State in this? Because it, it felt like we got everything on Sacramento. Like Sacramento, yeah. they, they made their offer. They weren't going to put in Keegan Murray, obviously. Um, it was a lot of different players. Maybe, you know, Raptors looked at it and said, hey, we'd rather not have a bunch of those guys. But the, <sighs> Dallas, I think, surprised me a little because the fit was so clear and obvious. And then the other one was Golden State. If you wanted an out from the Chris Paul contract or you wanted to actually be able to try to maximize Steph Curry's prime. Like maybe this was a bit of an indicator that they went, you know, if they weren't willing to move Kaminga that they were saying really deep down, Hey, um, we, we really don't think that even one move can fix us. I think Dallas was, it was a challenge for, because the Mavericks only had one first round pick trade. Mm -hmm. And then you look at, you want Grant Williams and Cleaver and, you know, Josh is hard because he signed that extension. It it, it just, it's a matter of uh, adding the money up there and then you have one draft asset. Like that doesn't do much for me. I think, you know, Golden State is interesting because like what, what would have happened if you hadn't done the Barrett deal and, um, you still had, um, you know, Wiggins have made sense. Who's having a really bad year in, mm. in, um, in, in Golden State. You know, that kind of fits the model of, you know, Toronto going out and get guys under contract that can kind of help. But, you know, like, but if you're not going to put Kaminga in a deal, then what else on that roster? May, you, know, you, you know, Chris Paul and, you know, they've got a, um, I think they can trade a first in 2026, I want to say. Um, you know, Golden State basically is going to have to make a decision how much more they want to want to pay here. So you just kind of, you just run through the, you know, the list of teams, and it's just kind of a process of elimination as far as, you know, Sacramento could have traded a couple picks, but if you're not going to trade Keegan Murray, does Harrison Barnes and Kevin Herter make sense for you? And probably, probably not because the three guys you got, um, you know, with Noara, who's going to be a free agent, and, you know, as I said, Brown's got a, a team option um, for next year, and, and Lewis is, a, is, a, is going to be a free agent here, and then you can add those three picks to it, is as good as, you, as you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it does feel like a lot of this was, was the money really worked for Toronto too, right? 
Yeah, that, I mean that's the other thing too. So now you have a decision, right? Like I, I you know, I know, um, you know, they could be a room team and based on what happens with Brown, but you know, I mean, like free agent shopping is not the most appealing way to go. But the Toronto and free agency has not worked out great as far as creating cap space here. So um, I would say if, you know, if Bruce is on the roster past the ace, I would expect his option to get picked up. Um, he'd be on an expiring $23 million contract. And then you got to figure out what you do quickly. And then Barnes is his rookie extension eligible this, this off, off, off season. And then you can, you know, and then, as I said, you got those picks and you can figure out as far as move up, move back, you know, maybe move out and, and go from there. What do you think about the Pacers side of this? Uh, what do I think? Yeah, I, I get it. I understand it from their side. Now, what is the, is, is there, is there upside capped? You know, because now you've got two guys making next year, 90 million plus. So you're, those are your two guys. I think it certainly you're going to need, um, one of your young players to be a Matherin to hit. Um, yeah. that's gotta be like your third guy. You know, you still, you still have Turner healed will be interesting at the deadline because I don't know how you keep, Buddy, I mean, you can keep him, but and then resign him because of where your finances are going to be. Um, so I get it from Indiana. They wouldn't have been like I, I, I saw like everyone's talking about like oh they could have just waited and signed Pascal in the offseason. Like that becomes a, a major challenge yeah. because you basically have to do like four different transactions. You got to like decline the Brown option. You've got to you know wave TJ McConnell, uh, all these different things, and then like then you're talking about tampering. But, like. But wait a minute, you just did these five transactions. How you know you're going to sign Pascal Siakam here? Mm-hmm. So I, I understand it from, from – uh, gives them a chance, probably not this year at least, just based on where Boston is. Um, and, you know, they've they played well against Milwaukee here. But, I, you know, you're not going to get that type of guy in free agency, and it's, it's easier but at a cost when you go through, you know, the trade circuit. Yeah, that's why, again, I just – I keep, like, the, the re-sign or the sign someone in free agency thing. I, I like it for Indiana. I just – I, I can't wait to see he and Halliburton in transition. Uh, I think Pascal, one of the things that he's proven in his career is he's just, he, he can fit in, right? He's just a, he's a good fit in piece. He's not a closer. You're hoping that Halliburton is that. I'm not sure it's a title team, but I am excited to see what they look like. And I do think it does elevate them. I just can't get over the Golden State part of it is that the Kaminga thing is how much the va- Raptors valued him, how much the Warriors valued him, whether or not Toronto was willing to take the Wiggins contract. That'll always be my what if, because when I look at Golden State, I just, I don't see how they're going to be able to really materially change their team. And they've got Steph Curry, who's basically been, you know, he's never pulled the LeBron, I'm the GM move, but he kind of insinuated it at that media conference where he said, we, we, can't, we can't keep running things out here the same way. And I've just never seen it with Kamingo where I go, you can't, he's not an irreplaceable piece or not going to be the, the two-wave superstar player. And if that cost me Pascal Siakam, if I'm a Warriors fan, I don't know how I'd, yeah, I, I, that would keep me up at night. Well, I just think you get to a point where how much more do you want to spend? Yeah. Right? Like in Golden State, like you've already spent $700 million luxury taxes in the last seven years or six years here. Um, you have uh, Clay, you have, um, you know, Wiggins on the, on the books here. Like things are, are going to continually do get expensive for a mediocre team that's probably has seen the best days. And now you're thinking, well, wait, wait a minute, we've got a Kaminga, Moody, Podzinski, you know, guys like that. If that's what the future is going to be, like we can't go out and then sign Pascal for $200 million, 200 plus million dollars. Mm-hmm. And how much does that move the needle, right? Does that get you closer to um, Denver and Minnesota and OKC and stuff? I, I don't know because mm-hmm. what I've seen from this roster right now, I don't see it turning around quickly. I, I, just, I just don't. Hey, Bobby, uh, I appreciate the time today as always. Take care, buddy.
You're welcome, man. Good speaking with you. Yep, always. Bobby Marks, ESPN front office insider, former AGM. Uh, okay, so a few things there. One, I'm just going to close out the Golden State thought. This is my the, the reasoning with Golden State. I know what he's saying. That's, that makes sense, right? It's like, ah, Golden State, I don't know if they're going to be good enough. I don't know if they want to spend the money. Yeah, but that's not what Golden State has been. Golden State has always been, we can win. We, we have the money. We will pay into the luxury tax. That's what I think is so interesting about the second apron is that it's, it's working even with the big financial heavyweights. All of a sudden, you're telling me, because there was ways to make it work. It was just ugly. It, it meant you take one run this year with Siakam, and you see how it operates. But then the next year, you walk away from clay. That's, that's, the, that's the ugly part. That's where you chop a bunch of the cash. But if you could have turned the Wiggins contract, especially too, that's the, the other part of this is when he's saying, hey, how expensive could it have gotten? If you could have taken the Wiggins contract and moved it off your books and turned him into Pascal Siakam, and it would have taken draft picks and Jonathan Kaminga, that I think would have been the perceived, the more perceived home run for Toronto, where they would have gotten a guy that people would have said, hey, this can be a star plus the picks. And the ceiling for the other team, you could have talked yourself into it because it's Steph Curry and Pascal Siakam and Draymond Green and Clay Thompson and potentially Chris Paul coming back. I don't, I don't know what the value is. Pazemke. They would have had the pieces to be the now. They would have had less for the future for sure. But I'm surprised a little bit that the Steph Curry era, and we'll see, there's tons of time before the, the deadline. This isn't completely done. But I'm a little surprised that this is the way it, appears to be going for golden state where they're that invested in the two waves thing. And then they're that afraid to pay the money and that they're that, you know, that they're really telling you we're not doubling down on a Steph Curry team, even though he appears to still be very, very much Steph Curry. The Raptors part. I I get it. Bobby's a GM. He's saying, Hey, what's, what's done is done and you got to move forward and you got to move forward. And this was the best you had in the present. And that, that is, understandable. And again, I give Masai Ujiri credit for not waiting until the deadline because I, I've been uber critical in the past of well, how many times are you going to keep doing this before you learn that you're actually not the best when it comes to, hey, deadlines make deals. That It's just, it hasn't worked out for the Raptors. So getting ahead of it with these OG and Pascal deals, good. This right now being the best available package that you could get though, mm, like, yeah. I think if you're moving Pascal Siakam, you had to do it earlier. And this shouldn't have been a surprise. They've known that this new CBA was coming. This isn't brand new. This didn't just come out two weeks ago. Like, oh, hey, the second apron. Huh? And they saw the chemistry elements with their team a year ago. So to think it was a Nick Nurse issue or whatever, whatever they were attributing it to, he came into this year saying... We feel as though there's not going to be selfishness, right? Which was also strange because it felt like he was targeting that at Siakam and then Siakam defended himself at media day going, I don't think I'm selfish. And he went, boy, this isn't a great start to the vibes being high with the new positive coach and the positive teammates. Scotty Barnes was fully buying into it. He went, yeah, I know I'm the future of this franchise. I'll, I'll buy into the no selfishness and playing great. Siakam didn't seem like he was having it. But for, that's, that's it is I'm still having trouble separating what we knew in the past, that it wasn't some surprise, that the Raptors weren't rolling last year. That, you know what I was really thinking? Is the, the tough one for the Raptors, the, the thing that really hurt them 
when I go back in the time machine and I, I, I say, when, when was the moment? What screwed them in terms of being able to identify? Because when we, they drafted Scotty Barnes, there was all this talk about two timelines. I remember I was doing a show with Blake at the time, and we kept talking about it. We had Bobby Webster on. It was a brand-new morning show. We were talking about the two timelines, and he even admitted that it was a thing. He's like, yeah, we're, we're trying to figure that out. It's not a bad thing, but it, this was inevitable. Two timelines was never going to work. But then they had that year, and it just got muddier, muddier, muddier throughout the season, right? Barnes had his rookie of the year. Uh, Fred was playing great before the injury. Siakam was playing great. The Raptors looked like they were going to be a tough out. They made that trade, which was so stupid. I hated that trade, the Thad Young trade. I, I, I couldn't have liked it any less. It was in, just mind-boggling that they ended up doing that, a first. And people went, oh, it's a trade back. And you went, no, it's, it, it still is a first-round pick moving into the second round. For Thad Young, a veteran player who may have been waived by San Antonio and probably would have been had the Raptors not traded for him. He doesn't come to Toronto probably, but he, he wasn't some valuable asset. He'd been sitting on the end of their bench all year long. They went out and got him. They added to the group. And that Sixers series, if you remember it, Siakam started horrifically. He and Fred looked awful to start that series. Barnes gets hurt after looking like he was built for it, that he might even be further down the track than we thought when we were watching the Rookie of the Year, Tennessee. But then the Raptors bounced back in the series, and they showed some toughness and some, some... Siakam bounced back. He looked awesome. Everybody had buried Siakam, myself included, and then all of a sudden he was playing so well in the postseason that we had to go, wow, damn, that's pretty impressive. Maybe the Raptors would have won the series if he wasn't so dreadful to start it. And it had, the, had Siakam just played poorly that year, had, had they just decided that in that moment when he bounced back and when Fred was there, and a, that that was the time. And the only reason that I am saying this and being critical of it is because I, no one's going to go back. But I remember, you can ask the people that were there with me, that was the time that I said that they needed to move off those guys. It was, it was clear and obvious. You got to move off of Fred. You had to move off of Siakam. Yeah, I wanted them to keep OG and Anobi until this season. But those two guys, you had to sell high. You had to sell in those moments because otherwise you were. We knew Fred had a big contract coming up. We knew that Siakam was right there down the line. Siakam felt less urgent. I'll admit it. Fred was very much, that was the time, that was the time. And it, that Sixers series screwed everything up because if they just bombed out of it, like they looked like they were going too early, God, Maybe they're set up completely differently. Either way, I'm glad that we're here. I'm glad that we don't have to just spend hours and hours and hours evaluating what the Raptors are going to get, what they should do. Transactions are fun, but I, watching that game last night was so fun. They come out the first quarter, and it's just bombs away, and Quickly's doing, quickly's doing the, the skipping, and RJ's just relentless going to the basket. And all of a sudden, Grady Dick comes off the bench, and he does a pump fake, and he knocks down a corner three, and I go, ho, 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 ho. Imagine this all of a sudden. Hey, new look Raptors are here. The new Raptors are here. And that was just, it was kind of heavy last night. It was kind of heavy watching that going, man, this team, it's, we've always seen the slam magazine cover and people do the, you know, crossing off of who was in the, who was on the team and all the, hey, Chris Boucher is the only guy left from 2019. But that was it. Was no Siakam now. That felt weighty. Bittersweet. 
Yeah, bittersweet because again, it, it would have been it would have been one thing if there was uh, a player coming in that you would have said, "Hey, this is awesome. They really got somebody for Siakam, and now they got another piece on the court." Maybe this is the way to kind of spin the 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 late picks that they're going to be getting. I I get what Bobby's saying about me being premature about twenty twenty six. I just I have a tough time believing that when you're looking at the NBA landscape and who Tyrese Halliburton appears to be, and the fact that they did keep all their young players, right? They didn't remove any of their good young depth guys that the Pacers are going to have some disaster. Plus, it is, what is it, top four protected, top five protected? Uh, there's a protection on the pick where it can't, it could end up being a, a good pick, a lottery pick maybe, but I just, yeah, I'm a little cynical about what it, what it ultimately could end up being. I th- let's put it this way. I think it's far more likely that that pick ends up being 24 than six. One to 14, it's protected, by the way. One to 14? One to four. Yeah, my, okay. My I was going to say, no, that's not right. Per shams. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. You know this, like... That wouldn't be a it, good get it to, you know, get it together. <laughs> get, get it together, right? You just, you just scared some Raptors fan going, I thought it was one to four. Yeah, relax. Um, maybe the, the legacy of this trade is going to be the Raptors have not been good with player development since Pascal Siakam. He is, he is, their, he is their guy. That, that guy is the... They won a championship... Because they were able to develop. That was it. They went, hey, this Raptors team doesn't have lottery picks. It's the Gasol team. It's the Siakam team. It's the Fred team. It's the Kawhi. Can they replicate that again? Can they turn... Can they get back to, to really solid player development? Are they going to are, are get more from quickly? That's what really a lot of this has been. They traded for quickly. He was behind somebody. He was he was backing he was backing up Jalen Brunson. Can you get more out of this player? Does he have another level to go? Can you develop him to get there? RJ Barrett, a, a high pick that never lived up to the pedigree. Can you get him to unlock something more than what we saw in New York? Which I, I kind of think Carmelo fairly put it is a player who some nights looks terrific and then some nights it just it it looks really tough when RJ's off. Can you get more consistency from that guy? Can you unlock it? Can you draft? A bunch of late picks in a year where there maybe isn't the, it's not the deepest draft. Sure, there could be surprises. Can you hit those picks? Can you not have Malachi Flynn's? Can you have Desmond Baines again? Can you, can you hit on those players? That'll, that'll be the legacy of the Siakam trade. But before we, before we wrap this up, before I take a break, I just want to say, I, I still remember when Pascal Siakam got drafted, where I was. I was sitting in, I was, doing a, I was doing a show, and they got late, and I couldn't believe it because there were two players on the board that I just, I thought the Raptors were in the driver's seat. How could they? There was DeJounte Murray, who I was dead right about, the Washington kid who I'd spent a lot of time watching, and I said, this guy would be very good. This, this, I love this kid. He was a... He's falling in the draft too. He was one of those high picks that was falling in the draft. And I said, yes. And then the other guy could not have been more wrong was Scal LeBissier. Woof. I really wanted Scal from Kentucky. This intriguing prospect, this long lengthy guy. I thought he was going to be, you know, a, a new Kevin Durant. Uh, he's Brandon Ingram at the lowest. He was going to be a Brandon Ingram skinny guy, could shoot it. Uh, nah. they, they draft Siakam. And I went, are you kidding? Who? He wasn't on the draft boards. 
he wasn't someone that was projected to be a first-round pick. Those other two guys were. Those two other guys were projected as lottery picks. Why, Masai? Why have you done this? It was actually kind of a upsetting draft because I wanted Sabonis and DeJounte or Scal. Those were the, the, the dreams all of a sudden when they were happening. And they went with Pirtle and they went with a guy named Pascal Siakam, from Texas A&M. And I was like, I have no, I, I don't know. I, I'm not prepared for this. I wasn't prepared to discuss who this guy is. And so what did I do? I equated it to the Bruno pick where I went, man, here's Masai taking a guy because you saw the intangibles, the athleticism, and he said, oh, okay, so he's trying to do a Bruno pick again. Except for he was Bruno, just not a bust. He was what they wanted in Bruno. He was the intangibles guy, the athleticism guy that they, they said, we can make this dude a somebody. The difference between him and Bruno was that Siakam had this, this motor, this incredible motor that we saw from the jump, right? He always hustled. And that is one thing that I will always respect about Pascal Siakam. Were there down moments? Was he a frustrating player at times? Were there, you know, the Celtic series where he just, you know, he couldn't even dribble and he's still trying to go up against Marcus Smart in the post and people were tearing their hair out saying, please, man, stop doing this. Stop trying to be the guy. Did I feel like he tried to force being the guy here near the end a little bit too much? Yes. But one thing you can never knock Pascal Siakam for is that that dude showed up every single night. Not only did he play because he was durable, but he gave you what he gave you, whatever he had bad teams, good teams, young as an all-star, whatever that dude's motor never, ever, ever stopped. I always thought one of the more underrated athletes in the NBA because we judge athletes in the NBA like, are they Zion, right? Are they, are they jump out of the gym? Are they John Morant? Are they Derrick Rose? That's the athletes we want. Are they LeBron James? Are they Russell Westbrook? But man, you want to talk about athletes? Siakam, the way that he ran the floor. Graceful, beautiful, gazelle-like. And that was what I remember about him when he first came to Toronto was, again, the, the Raptors didn't have a power forward. They were playing Luis Scola. And it was, thank God for Scola. And Siakam would get in there sometimes. And you would go, this guy can't have the basketball in his hands. He can't, he can't shoot from four feet away from the basket. He's a complete non-factor when it comes to offense. But they had to play him. And you went, boy, oh boy. But the one thing that was awesome about him, and I'll never forget it, was the piss missile down the floor. They would break out in transition. And that guy took off like he was shot out of a cannon. Flying down the floor. Finishing in transition. God, it was so fun to watch. I remember Jerry Stackhouse coming on with me saying, hey, look out for this player. Coach him in the G League. He's, he'd be the best defensive player on the Raptors right now. Goes on to win the G League MVP. People start to get a little bit of buzz. All of a sudden, he's the lovable engine of the bench mob. God, don't forget the bench mob. Bench mob gets overlooked sometimes. It's like it, you say bench mob to a Raptors fan and you tell me a smile doesn't just break out over their face. Like bench mob? God, that's the happiest times we ever had. I would say the happiest time a Raptors fan ever had was obviously the championship. Obviously that, like once they've won the championship though, actually, you know, the, the, the only, it was the winning, right? Everybody forgets how, what a pain it was to get to the winning, like losing to Orlando in that first game, the grind that was the Sixers series, falling behind the Bucks, and the, the feeling of, of that, the, the feeling of, oh my God, Kevin Durant's coming back and the Raptors have no chance in this series and the up and down feelings of the, the, the championship series against the Warriors. The winning was amazing, but the, the journey was, God, it was a slog. It was difficult. It was, was gut-wrenching. The, the following year was what was so fun. The following year, the run-it-back season where it felt like the, the pressure to win was off, but the team was fun and they had great chemistry. That was great. So I think that, but bench mob, man. Bench mob with, with 
Siakam was where we first started to see it. We went, hmm, maybe there's a little bit more here. Maybe this guy is really developing. And then they go on the championship run, and by that time, like, he's, he's, he's starting. See, all of a sudden, uh, Kawhi is taking nights off, and Siakam's filling in for him, and we're going, this dude is... When, when they first made that trade, everyone went, oh, is OG going to learn from Kawhi? Is OG going to borrow from Kawhi? OG, OG, OG. It's all about OG and Kawhi and the parallels between the two guys. And it was Siakam that was taking the step. It was Siakam that was looking like he was borrowing the offense. All of a sudden, he was hitting the mid-range. All of a sudden, he was going to the paint a little bit more. All of a sudden, he had way more confidence as a scorer. And he said, damn, Raptors really have something here. This is a real guy. To the point where he's the one who carries them offensively in their first one of the NBA Finals and then closes the series, closes the NBA Finals with a massive bucket that I think gets forgotten because we all just remember the Danny Green turnover and Steph missing the three. That's the way we crystallized that moment was the stress, not the, the joy of that Siakam up and under where he scores at the rim. God, it was fun. The following year, everybody's heartbroken. Everybody's shattered by losing Kawhi Leonard. And then Siakam shows up and people go, is it too much expectation? Can you build a superstar on the fly? And that game against Boston, second game of the year, from memory, I would have told you he hit 11 threes that night, that he was, he tied the NBA record. No, he hit five. He was five and seven. But to me, it felt like a million because all of a sudden it was this dude stretched. He, he was stretching the floor in a different way and he was knocking him down. And you went, oh, my God. And then don't forget, those first couple of weeks of the season, it was, is this dude the MVP? Is this dude going to be the MVP? And then the season gets derailed by COVID and everything changes. And he comes back and it was never, it was never the same. They, you know, people love bitching about the Leafs and the way they got impacted by the, the, the break in play. But, man, the Raptors got hit hard, too. Raptors had something rolling and they came back and Siakam, the guy who'd always been in the gym, couldn't be in the gym and he wasn't the same. The fan base changed their tone because the expectation was high of him and he was supposed to be the closer and he had that series against Boston and it just never, he, he came back. He said he had lost his joy or that he wanted to play with joy again. And there was, there was like a, it was just a, a real shift. It was a real shift in tone in terms of how he was perceived in the city, the way that he was embraced, the way that he played. And I think that he's underappreciated now because of that, because of that stretch. You know, you look at his career numbers as a Raptor. He is one of the greatest Raptors to ever play, without a doubt. He is the face of what you should want here. A consummate pro, a guy who always showed up with a smile, a guy who was relentless in his pursuit of greatness, a guy who embraced the city, a guy who won a championship here, was a winner here, developed here, did all of those things here, and then set top fives across the board. And... Yeah, it was time. They had to move on. They had to make this trade. But part of me wonders, man, would have been nice. Would have been nice to have a guy like that be a part of your franchise all the way through. Anyways, quick break. Let's come back and hit on how about them Cowboys. Takes a lot for me to say I feel sorry for Cowboys fans. Although I have, I've been feeling a little bit differently about them lately. Before I do that, though, it's time. The dynamic comedy, well, let's start that again. The dynamic comedic duo, Bad Friends, with Andrew Santino and Bobby Lee head to OLG stage at Falls View Casino on April 6th, and we're giving away tickets all week long. So tomorrow is the end of the week. 
Today is Thursday. God, it better be. God, it better be. To enter, all you have to do is tune into the episodes of this podcast, the J.D. Bunkus podcast. Listen for the code word, then text that code word to 590-590. Today's code word is TALENT. Text TALENT to 590-590 right now for your chance to win. We'll be giving away another tick, pair of tickets tomorrow. But if you don't win with us, head to Ticketmaster.ca. Grab a, grab a pair. I promise you. If you love stand-up comedy, you love comedy in general, funny podcast. These two are amazing. You won't miss on this. Um, also, quick programming note. Raptor show, one to four today. I didn't look at who's on. When's Messiah's media conference? One o'clock. Yeah, okay. So that, I'm guessing that they'll take Messiah's media conference today. And then the fellows will react. And as we had it yesterday, it was nothing better than being able... The, 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 only, the best thing about this trade happening was that it happened right in the middle of the Raptor show. And I got to tune in immediately to hear Blake and Will talk about it. It's perfect. Anyways, I'm going to be quick on this Cowboys thing because I, I might bring it up later in the show with Ennis. I might have to. But the, I, I saw a Schefter report that they were, that they, hey, they, had to, they were going to be looking at Bill Belichick and he might have to be the favorite. And I, I got horned up and I sent that to Brady Quinn. I, text, I, I DM'd it to him and I went, hey, look at this. I'm right. And then immediately after, I saw the Mike McCarthy breaking news tweet, right? But I didn't even see it as he's coming back. I saw breaking news, Mike McCarthy, and you know those emails where it's like words and they don't write the full words out, but you can read it all? I did that, but I was, Mike McCarthy's fired. Obviously, he's fired. I wouldn't even, it, there was 0% chance to me that he wasn't fired. It was purely who's his replacement. It wasn't until over an hour later that I was on Twitter again, and I saw he was returning and it almost broke my brain. It almost shattered my brain. I immediately text a couple of my Cowboys buddies going, I, I, I'm so sorry. Like it's a death in their family. I always make fun of people that say, I don't, I'm not watching the team next year. Cause I think that it's sort of a loser move and it's just, it's, it's not a loser move. Actually, I've done it before because it's, it's, it's just a reaction. It's a defense mechanism to the pain that you're feeling right now. You need to try to close off those receptors. I can't feel this pain anymore. Please God, make it go away. Especially since you feel like such an idiot that you care about something so much that you don't control that was probably foisted upon you by a parent or your region. Right. And all of a sudden it's your identity and you're like, why? This is so stupid. I, I'm, I'm embarrassed. I need to stop. I'll stop. I'll quit. I'll, I'll do anything to make this pain go away. And I go, yeah, I'll see you next year. But for Cowboys fans right now, I got to tell you, you want to quit for next year? You want a year pass? Granted. Granted. Quick break. Good hour with Ben Ennis next. For the first time in a long time, good hour with Ben Ennis not in studio. You wouldn't wait an hour. I wouldn't wait an hour. Yeah. I, I, I waited an hour to do the show. I'm doing the show. I got preempted by what? A former NBA executive. Uh-huh. Uh, all right. No, I, I understand. What do you that. think your biggest Bobby accomplishment works. is? My biggest accomplishment. Yeah, because you just said that you were, was, like, you were like, oh, former NBA executive. And I, I was like, yeah, what have I you have done? A pretty good one. Fatherhood? As, uh, no. As grade five student of excellence in, no, uh, in Halton Region. I, I want a I speech competition in French. And I was like, mm. of Hal, all of Halton Region, I was the student of excellence in grade, in grade five. The yeah, whole and, region. And, and approach, yeah, and 
at approaching 40 years old, I can still look back and say that is the, the biggest accomplishment of my entire life. I you, peaked. I peaked too early, but I, yeah. did, I definitely peaked. Too oh, no, there's no there's no doubt knowing you that you peaked. You peaked young. You did. Because think about it. Mm-hmm. You met your wife when you were in high school. That's right. Yeah. You were somebody told me once that you had a moment where you were cool in high school, but that it dissipated very quickly. Who told you that? Somebody who I know. I know some people. And they said, yeah, Ben was pretty cool in high school for a little while. And I went, yeah, I could see that. But then you just, you, you froze I there. uncool? Yeah. I think pretty obviously. <laughs> I don't think, there's nobody that meets you now and says, that you're likable and you're affable. You're good I don't time. know if I'm likable either, honestly. If mm. I'm being honest. I think I, I'm, I'm, I understand who I am at this point. Mm. Like it took until near my 40th birthday, but yeah, I, under, I understand Oh, you're having, things. you're having the cry. Okay, sorry. Let, teach us a wise one. What, what, sorry to interrupt you. This is going to sound self-deprecating, but I think it's true. It's like, mm. yeah, I'm not cool. I think I think since we've known each other, like I could have diluted thought, so myself. So you thought into, you were cooler while I've known you until now. Until now, you've got you, close to forty. It's been a slow decline, and you know what? Yeah. Maybe you've been part of that uh, realization, like yeah, telling me, me every day how yeah. uncool I am. It's like finally <laughs> that finally you drove that point home. Yeah. And and two, like I try to be likable and I I try to be friendly, but mm-hmm. I just I don't think I make that first impression and I just have to accept No, you that. don't. Yeah, you don't. Oh, 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 sorry. I I love that. I thought the realization the conceit here was going to be that you were going to make good. an effort. No, that you were going to make an no. effort to well, buddy, be... also at almost 40 years old I am who I am. I don't accept you can't this. Change. I don't you accept can't this. Change. No, I I'm the opposite. I believe people can change. I I'm 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 Marge Simpson with the the painter guy, you know, like watching him do the drawings, and he's like, Marge, I did not burn, I did burn the mural, but I did not burn his car. And I'm just there going, I believe you. <laughs> yeah, the ex-con. I believe yeah, you, okay. ex-con. I believe that you yeah. can get better. I that's believe. That's not. That's not in that that episode is not like in Simpsons lore. That's a kind of a deep pull. That, that, that really, I like that episode. That one starts off so hot with them at the prison rodeo. And prison rodeo wheels off the road. Whose voice is that? That's Homer. a celebrity voice. No, oh, no, I, no, no, I can't remember. I can't remember whose celebrity voice that is. Marge, I did not burn Skinner's car. That's I don't know who it was. Anyway, um, yeah. I think you can yeah. change. I I'm, think that I'm, you should I'm still do, be nicer I'm to doing people. I'm my best. I don't think you are. I but, try to be yeah. nice to people. That's the thing. Like, I'm trying. Yeah, but people you don't look, understand yeah, actually, that I'm trying. You know what? That's, that's the true funny thing about you is I've seen you try to be nice and try to be approachable. That's the better way because you are nice. You are a nice guy. You're not a bad person, but you're not approachable is what I would say. And when people, when you're trying with new people, it's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> it's really bad. It's it's not smooth whatsoever. That that oh part best. is definitely true. Once you get to know it's you, though, you're the best. Trying. Yeah, and I tell Thanks. you you're not cool because you're like an older brother to me. It's the same thing that my younger brother does to me. It's constantly oh, don't be Don't be earnest. No, it's true. It's more fun when you make fun of me. Yeah, it's both. It's both. You need to have both. Um, what was your Siakam feeling today? I got I got pretty sentimental. Uh, I won't lie. I, I Because I felt like a bit of a tinge of regret that I wasn't... Uh, more appreciative of who he was as a Raptor for quite just because we spent the last two years being like trade him, trade him, trade him. You got to trade him. You got to trade him. You got to make I a know. trade. He was a victim of his own success, mm-hmm. right? And this is a guy that that saw himself as a max player. And I heard you in, in the first hour of, of your program, and mm-hmm. the hour I wasn't permitted uh, permitted on. Yep. Um, but yeah, you got warmed up for the 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 good hour. That's it. Of, my of my my brain sucks in the first hour of the show. That's the sneaky thing about mm-hmm. this. Everybody, I'm I'm not so there. Going to be better. You way better. It has to be. Now I I have an hour separation from my show. It has so to like be better. I get to... <laughs> You'll be worse. I'll be better. 
okay. <laughs> so ultimately, we get to yeah. the same spot. Same. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's funny to relitigate things, man. Because yeah, the the run it back season and and boy, I was looking at the box scores of the the, the championship in in 2019 in Game Six and him tying for the team lead in points. And yeah, you you mentioned the up and under that sealed the game for them. Well, we thought it sealed it until Danny Green had to put us in the torture chamber for the last couple of seconds. But yeah, it was. Uh, this was a guy that was a starter and a key contributor on a championship team. And then the next season took this incredible leap that you're like, Oh my God, limitless possibilities. And then guess what happened? The pandemic ruined everything, like Mm -hmm. ruined everything, put everything in this weird, crazy maelstrom. And he was unplayable. I just could not be on the floor in the closing minutes, it was how that. How did the Raptors get to seven games? I mean, they, it took a, a shot with point three seconds on the clock from OJ and yeah. to get to. How did they get to seven games with their best player being literally unplayable in that series? But he was. He was unplayable, mm-hmm. and then bet on himself like Fred Van Vliet and talked about being an All NBA player and, and setting those individual goals and and us seeing at least maybe proof of concept early in that regular season, the run it back season that maybe. Maybe he can be the best player on maybe not a championship-level team, but an, a home-court advantage in the first round of the playoffs-type Eastern Conference team. And it just – he wasn't quite that. So he, he wasn't quite that. And plus, his GM made him the face of selfishness, which which hurts. Yeah, did, you, know, you, you know what I think also hurt him that I didn't bring up in that last hour um, is the Raptors had DeRozan as the guy mm-hmm. who ends up getting benched in the postseason, and people go – Oh, damn. It's over. It's done, right? Super likable, just like Siakam. But there was a there was a lengthy experience of having a tandem of players in Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan that were awesome in regular seasons, that were really good regular season players, but that ultimately when push came to shove, come playoff time, yes. it was it was just no good and it didn't work. And I think that people saw in Siakam, fans here, even if you didn't know it, that deep down in your gut there was right. he was he was better than DeRozan, right? He he was. I'm so I, like Demar was a better scorer. Demar was also a great, it, really. He was a, a great developmental success for the Toronto Raptors. All, the, what was Demar DeRozan's calling card before he left here? It was that this guy gets better every single year, and every year it was always, man, his defense this year. You got to wait and see. He's in the gym and it's preseason. He's locking teams down, and then we'd watch one week of it and go, no, no, it turns out not so much. <laughs> And that was sort of Siakam with the three-point shot. That was his thing is he had all the bag, he had the entire bag of tricks, but it was can the three-point shot be consistent enough where he can shoot it off the dribble, where he can be a 1A scorer in the clutch. And it never it never got to that point. The, the off-the-bounce. You're right. Yeah, we're and, gun shy. Yeah, we were. And, and I think that Raptors fans turned on that quickly because it was one, one playoff performance, really, that Siakam was the man that he melted down in. And then a second one against the Sixers where it was he melted down to start but then rebounded and looked good. And we just, I think a lot of Raptors fans, I won't say everybody, but a lot of Raptors fans, I think that something inside of them triggered an emotional response of familiarity to the DeRozan experience and said, well, you can't build around this guy. We've been down this road before. So figure out what the future needs to be. And he never truly got an extended runway uh, emotionally from fans as the guy. Yeah, and I, I heard you mention that, yeah, the, them coming back and 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 giving the fear of God and uh, to the Sixers after they took a 3 nothing series lead in that mm-hmm. series. 
maybe changes things and makes I do. Them I really back. do. Well, if they, I, think I about it, if they get that, swept, if they get swept, do you think that there's any reality where they just come I, back and say everything's I agree. the same? But I, I would take it back even further because remember that season. That was the the like, hey, guess what? Um, the pandemic kind of ruined a number of different things. But mm-hmm. remember during that season, it was like Raptors went on this incredible second half run because they were playing teams with like guys that had never played in the NBA since, right? The the because teams had to field basketball teams because of COVID restrictions and border restrictions and guys that were testing positive and the NBA was just forging ahead. The Raptors had this incredible record in the second half of the season. They don't even maybe make the playoffs if, mm. if there's not the weirdness of that COVID season. So yeah, it's, it's the coming back in that series and Scotty ba- uh, Barnes coming back from injury and like the, oh, the caveat of like, what if you had a fully healthy Scotty Barnes for the entirety of that thing? But it's also second half of, of that season entirely that, that allowed them to get into the playoffs because they're mm. playing nobody's yeah How, do you feel like after this has it taught you anything about Masai's fastball like do you think Masai still has his fastball well I like the OG trade that was that was cool yeah. like I, I, and like RJ looks like a different dude he, he, the, the three-point shooting is not gonna be a 50 percent three-point shooter but like I haven't seen there's also a, you got to admit though there's the a mistakes. lot of opportunity for RJ here right now which is perfect for sure. the RJ ecosystem of hey take the ball and score it's true it's true yeah. it just it should be yes, it should but, be noted but, but, that but 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 like the bugaboo that I saw of him in New York was like a lot of mistakes too right like we just we haven't seen the turnovers nearly as much and the, mm. the bad decision making I haven't seen from him yeah and I, I like Emmanuel quickly and and an expand like that's the perfect type of guy that and and Blake wrote this great article before either trade was consummated about the type of guys that they should be targeting with these trades. It's not draft picks. It's guys that are good but kind of blocked because of their situation and how yeah, to grow. Which is why I don't like, like the Pacers trade. Which of is course, why what it drives awful. me. Yeah, yeah which I know. Drives me I nuts. like the OG trade. I yeah. hate the Pascal trade because you're you're going against. The, the thing that you just recently told us, not with your words, but with your actions uh-huh. about this, this upcoming draft. And I heard Bobby Marks with you, who is great, spectacular. And he, I mean, he works the draft for ESPN. Yeah. Man, this guy knows those prospects and said, yeah, there's no, no game-breaking talent, no superstar at the top of this thing. But it's, yeah, yeah there's, there's value to be had and rotation players to be had. Okay. You know who also knows this, this, this uh, draft class is the guys that have, that, their livelihood is on the line if they screw it up or not. And they mm-hmm. told us that, yeah, it's not a big deal if we give up a first-round pick in, in this draft well, for like also, a kind of replacement-level center. Also, not to get too bogged down in this part of it, but the the thing is, too, the Raptors didn't know that they were trading a top-10 pick, right? So even to Bobby's premise of, hey, well, there's no lottery yeah, guy, right. so maybe this is one of them <laughs> where the top pick is not as valuable as the right. deeper pick. The Raptors really did think they that they were... They protected themselves yeah, they, against they, like, they, the possibility of the top end. They, they thought, no, but they believed that they were going to yes. be good this year. And so that their right. pick was going to be similar to what the Pacers are right now. So what right. they really did believe was that they were trading <laughs> the Pacers pick that they reacquired. They went, all right, I guess well, we'll take that back. So, yeah, it's not, it's, it's not great. Well, again. it's also stark to, like, think about the Pirtle trade in particular because that was also a guy that was a pending free agent mm-hmm. and uh, a guy that they gave up a first-round pick for, and they got, yeah, okay, three well, yeah. first-round picks for, for <laughs> Pascal Siakam, but two of them in this horrible uh, draft and one of them in 2026, it's top four protected. But, yeah, it's like you can – the fact that you can compare a Yakub Pirtle trade to a Pascal Siakam trade when the contractual circumstances are pretty similar is mm-hmm. – ugh, it makes me feel gross. Yeah, the the, the Yakub Pirtle thing really screwed things up. Again, because, too, it, it also really screwed up the books, right, which made it harder to re-sign yes. Siakam. 
And so, it, like, Pacers fans are having this dilemma right now where they're saying, wait, why are we giving up three firsts when we could have just tried to sign Siakam, much like Raptors fans were with Jakob Pertl? But he, what do you think was more realistic? The, pack, uh, the Pacers sign, let's just say the Packers, the, the Pacers sign Siakam in free agency or the Raptors sign Jakob Pertl in free agency? It seems pretty clearly that if the Raptors were offering $20 million in free agency that they may have been ahead of some other groups when it came to being able to acquire Jakob Pertl. Yeah, that trade, that's, I, that's what I'm driving at here, though, with the Masai fastball is it felt like, Boy, these last couple of years have been really tough. They nailed the Scotty Barnes pick. It's an incredible pick. And especially considering that, yes, it's high lottery, but not not many people thought it was Barnes. You did. You thought Barnes was the correct pick. You always had it all along. Uh, Very strident in my take. Yes, but there was, I think there was, before basically a week before the draft, it was actually more about Jalen Suggs versus Wagner than it was like uh, Scotty Barnes, he was sort of a later addition into the, Hey, this guy actually is the higher upside. Hey, this feels Hollinger like Hollinger was always on, on Barnes. And I was, I, yeah. was, I was in the, the, the camp of Hollinger. Totally. And that worked out well for them. But around that it's, uh, oof. it was, it was bleak. It was bleak for quite some time. And they got this incredible reprieve of, well, they got screwed over by the pandemic and all this different stuff. And he went, all right, fine, fine, fine. And then, Oof, the the bad moves just kind of piled up, piled up, piled up. The Jakob Pertle trade now looking back is even worse than we ever could have imagined. But then they make that OG trade, and you're right. And I said, mm, you know, this is uh, like clearly OG is a really good player, and maybe they could have gotten a different package from some other teams. But quickly looks awesome so far, and RJ looks awesome so far. And you wondered, boy, is Masai back? Is he back doing his thing, ripping off the Knicks? And the way that the Siakam thing has played out, I, I don't know. It just made me feel a little less confident. Maybe Masai would tell you today that this was the offer that was on the table at the deadline last year. Mm. I, I think probably not, though. <laughs> what I proposed on my show is like, I know this could never happen, but like, how much better would sports be if there, if every trade conversation you had at any point with another executive was forced to be on the record, and at some point in the future, those records were oh, like the JFK thing. When I remember watching right? JFK I mean, as a that's kid. The exact comparison we made like oh, yeah okay. yeah like 60 years afterwards yeah. yeah it's like okay we're gonna finally know who killed they had like, how much how much better would sports be yeah. if there was oh a my god this is answer. the best idea you could, you've ever had if you could compare the return the raptors got from for pascal siakam today to the one that they were offered at last year's deadline and not like Every right away day like you gotta be wait opening up the seals of what the new day brings and it would be amazing you'd be getting woge bombs like yes today, uh they're releasing yes. jerry krause's initial talks about yeah. what he, he entertained jordan <laughs> contract be, oh my god right Imagine How? getting the Kobe files the year Kobe was oh basically going to go to the Clippers and he wanted out and that Lakers fans try to ignore ever happened that Kobe Bryant absolutely did not want to be a Laker the entire way through and was like begging to get out. Buddy. Imagine those calls. Tell me, like, I know it sounds like so far-fetched, but so do the great ideas throughout history sound very far-fetched. And I, I understand there's problems with it, right? That like so many of these trade right. conversations are unofficial. And Could and, you imagine and, ruining relationships years down the line in sports though course. over this? Like, That's uh, why it would have to be time delayed, right? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, dude! And the first time that they did it with someone who's deceased and going, "Hey, this is this is un this this is this is not good. This is untoward. Yeah. We shouldn't be doing this. This is yeah." But it's like it's just factual, man. Like yeah. it's there's no spin on the ball. This is just this is public record. The, I think this is the best idea. Fans... This is the best idea you've ever had. Honestly, I I've never heard you say I like it. 
Yeah, I love it. I love it. I don't know what you do, and and Brent proposed the idea of like the body cam. It's like you have to wear a body. No, 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 no. It's (laughs) it's it's simple. It's just although no, you can't have it. It's here's the problem. It would it would get hacked. There's so many. Yeah, there's a billion problems. But I I was thinking I was thinking the better thing is every team travels with a stenographer. (laughs) Stenographer (laughs) has got a blood. Actually, they got to cut the tongue out of the stenographer. They can't speak. You know they. Well, it's like okay, the president of the United States. Everything he says is that's what what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Like even like every conversation in the Oval Office as seriously as we do the Oval Office. Yeah, but let's also understand like so the pushback from executives would be like this is really important stuff. It's like no. No, it's just ultimately sports. Like, mm-hmm. no, we're, we're talking about sports here. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry that somebody's feelings might get hurt. Who cares? It like, would have it's, to. It's, the, it's here's sports. the problem, though. It would have to be 20 years. Ah, that's really? Yes. Because now think about it. You couldn't have, let's say, let's say LeBron didn't quit on the Cavs that final year. And already knew he was going to Miami. Let's say he was actually invested in playing for the Cleveland Cavaliers and he wasn't going to show up against the Celtics and go, oh, whoopsie, we got dominated. Oh, whoops. Oh, how did this happen? How did this happen? How did I play? So, how did this series go the way well, that it did? Off goes the jersey. Yeah, like, oh, damn. I was, all these things just randomly happened. Random. He <laughs> just yeah. ended up in Miami. Let's say he stayed with the Cavs the entire way through, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, imagine them. You know, he, he, there's guys now that are gonna play 20 years in the league. There's guys that okay, are gonna. You well, gotta yeah, have it. So you gotta I have it be foolproof. Of it couldn't be 10 years. Out. No, because Everybody, it, could, it couldn't be 10 years because there, it would ruin things. Like you couldn't have it where that's way too short. That's now. what I'm saying. Like everybody's out of the league. Everybody, all the principles are no longer 20 years. Like, they, yeah, it's got to be okay, 20 years. That's fine. Because no, because if you go too much farther, then it loses relevancy. Then people go, I don't know who that is. Modern day sports fans yeah. don't care. It just becomes. Although here's here's the truth. Somebody on, I think it was, uh, I, I saw a clip on the internet one, uh, recently, like not too long ago. I think it was actually a barstool clip. They were saying that the absolute best thing in sports, the best thing about sports, is just when you're sitting around with your friends and you remember old players. Yeah. And you go, so, oh yeah. my god. Yeah. Remember Random Linus Clayza? Yeah. No, but yeah. it's just you have a 10-minute Linus Clayza conversation with a buddy, and that's the, that's the sweetest spot you can be, right? Mm-hmm. That's it. And even part of the Siakam trade, the fun part is that we're just remembering other iterations of Pascal Siakam with the Raptors and going down memory lane, and that's fun. That's fun doing that. And you got to be able to capitalize. That's the good part of the, the leaking of the dossiers always, the leaking of the transcripts is that there's going to be some internet nerd. Actually, maybe this is what AI is for. AI just goes through it and says, hey, here's some good stuff. <laughs> here's some good. Here's some things that you might want to know about. And you get to reminisce with friends. But if it's too far removed, if it's like 40 years later, 30 years later, then yeah. Here's the thing. Yeah. There's problems with it. I it's only a great idea. just came up with this idea last night. Like yeah. we can we can workshop this. We can get smart people involved and we can mm. and the final iteration. That's always the dumb as... guy thing when it comes to an invention, by the way, is as you invent yeah, something. Else and then it's like, it out. Yeah, and then I you go you come up with a concept, a loose concept, and say, yeah. that's for the engineers to work on. But, I dug yeah. up the coal, uh, turn it into a diamond. Yes, okay. Correct. That's it. <laughs> No, you didn't even dig up the coal. You just th- you just think. I think That's there's coal. coal. There might be coal down there. <laughs> He's out walking one day, kick up a little dirt, and like, mm, I wonder. Think there's coal down there, fellas? Well, and <laughs> I invented that. I invented coal being here. I think that coal's down there. And let's not let perfect be the enemy of good here. Like, yeah, mm. I, I would it be ideal to have like every little conversation, every little tidbit of every possible yeah. trade scenario. 
uh, unveiled to us? Yes. Is that yeah. the likely end game of this incredible idea? Probably not. But like, mm. give us something. Mm. Give us something as sports fans to be able to give better evaluate our, our front offices. Give us more discourse for like these off seasons where the leagues are every league now in North America is a twelve month a year league, right? Where there's always something going on. Give us like dossier mm. unveiling month in the mm. NBA. Uh, in the summer, right? Oh, the you un- you, summer. Yeah, you unleash it all. It's not like it's 20 years to the day like we were expecting mm-hmm. with the JFK files. It's at the end of the season. Yes. There's a there's a rolling out. It's it's of a day. Course. It's a it's, day every yeah. year where we all wait. Yes. It's like, oh, after the draft, after free agency, and now it's like, oh, I can't wait for Dossier unveiling mm-hmm. next month. You know what the you know what the other flaw in the, the fly in the ointment is here is that general managers in front offices, they actually usually have a way of – they, they, when they have a really good one, they have a way of making sure people knew that they were Buddy, trying to do a good thing. one. Of yeah. course, yeah. Like you don't think if, in fact, this was the same trade that Masayu Jiri turned down at last year's deadline, that like we're not going to have great reporters like Michael Grange all of a sudden have that report coming up before the end of the no, season. No, that's, like, that's the thing. There's no one that has really anything to gain in this situation because if you're, say, New Orleans, right? And you're like, we were interested in Siakam. Or there's another team that was interested in Siakam. If, if you were offering something horrible, if you're offering something horrible, you're not leaking it because you're saying, well, we couldn't have outdone that trade package. And then if you offered something better, you're saying, wow, actually, we were stupid. We were going to give up more for this guy that ended up a year later being worth a couple of lottery tickets. No, people and, are going to be yeah. embarrassed and people are yeah, going to yeah. look stupid. That's why it's amazing. But the, and the Raptors are never going to want to let anything out because they don't want you to know what the comparables are because there's a yep. strong likelihood that... Yeah, the other teams had better trade offers. Even if you go back to the Atlanta trade, yeah. people were going at the time. I remember saying, "Boy, Cody Bufkin and uh, Hunter and a potential and a first. That's not enough for Pascal Siakam." We all agreed that was enough for Pascal Siakam. You'd kill for that deal over what the Raptors got. Mm-hmm. Like, y- yeah. Y- yeah, and and we'd be able to understand. Like, if the executives are still in the league, we'd better understand their modus operandi. It would be mm. like getting the whole cards when we're watching poker on TV, right? Like, mm. you understand poker players' strategy. Because you you know how they operate given certain hands, we'd we'd know that about certain executives. It would suck for them, but so what? It would be more entertaining for <laughs> us. So I don't what? care about that. But so what? Yeah. But so I what? Agree, it's an entertainment product. Yeah. Like yeah, no, the, the sports executives take them, take themselves way too seriously. Yes. Anyways, you, like, you and this I talk would about be a much needed de- de- deflation of the balloon for them. Brother, you and I talk about this all the time. Is it, it, it's strange because with sports, it used to just be. It, it was insane. It was the what, like, you know, reading Alex Wong's Raptors book, you're reminded of how, like, we're barely removed from just the dumbest things in sports, right? Yeah. Like, it's just the, the absolute dumbest things in sports to where we are now, where it's just this refined high-end science. We're using top-end analytics to figure out what the exact values of every single player, everything Buddy, is it's team. in my lifetime that people in baseball were like, walks are stupid, swing yeah. the bat. Yeah. Yeah, who cares about getting on base? Dingers. Yeah. Like, come on. I agree with that still, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, actually, no, dingers were important in Moneyball, but dingers yeah. and getting on base. But yeah. yeah, so anyway, yeah, I get it. I, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, the, the, the evolution of this thing as a business, especially, of like the way we revere executives, especially, right? Yes. Is, is yeah. entirely different. The staffs, the everything. But part of what's lost in this, and this has been my gripe with the Leafs, and this has been, and some of it is fair, some of it's unfair, but is that 
that we now need more than just the games. And some of us are purists that just need the games, and that's totally fine. But in order for sports to exist in the larger ecosystem, in order for it to be the, you know, billion-dollar enterprises, it's got to be more than just what happened on the floor yeah. last night. Did you watch the entirety of the Pacers game? It's like, no, uh, I didn't. dossier unveiling but, season. No, but it's that, it, it, like I was thinking about this with Cowboys fans. I went, poor Cowboys fans, because your entertainment product, is there a case to be made that your very good football team should return the, the very good, historically, football coach? Yeah. But from an entertainment standpoint, having to watch another year of McCarthy and Dak and dreaming on the same thing, it's just a nightmare. You know, you're stuck in this position where you're going, oh, my God, there's nothing fun for me. There's there's nothing for me to glom onto when it comes to the hope of something being different. This is part of what's getting into, maybe this is a good transition into the Leaf stuff that I, I planned with you about where they're at and why it always ends up getting so connected. No, but this is how I'll pivot into it. People, I've had people reach out to me recently going, man, Toronto loves the negativity. Boy, the negativity sells. Boy, this, that, because, you know, you see, you can see certain numbers go up. You can see interactions go up, engagements go up. And I don't believe that at all. Like, I really don't. I don't think that people here want losers. And I think it's a huge, huge, huge misnomer. It's built out of the frustration of not having a winner in so long. And the other part of this is that the entertainment product itself, right? The Toronto Maple Leafs entertainment product element of this is tied into the over-professionalization of these front offices and the, oh, well, you, why, guess what? You have to give William Nylander 11 point whatever million dollars. You have to give him $92 million combined in a full no-move clause because what else are you supposed to do? There's no other move that makes any sense. So you got to run it back. You got to do the exact same thing over. Well, you can't replace this talent, so you've got to be able to do the Continuity is what is intelligent. Don't forget they wanted to bring Kyle Dubas back, right? They weren't even going to have a new general manager this year before Kyle Dubas went to that podium. No, and the decided, Leafs are the Cowboys. They're the same. But No, but the Leafs are the Cowboys, but they're all the Cowboys. The Eagles look like they're going to bring back Nick Sirianni. Like, there's the, all these organizations want the I same thing. he hadn't met with Jeffrey Lurie. It yet. looks like he's going to stay as the head coach and they're going to bring in a play caller. Anyway, my point is, is that we've gotten to this place where they view these dudes as CEOs of large companies and a lot of the entertainment element gets lost in the shuffle. And I think that there's a greater disconnect now between teams and their fan bases than there ever has been before. That a lot of these teams take the customers for granted and they say, well, you're going to show up. You're going to be there, right? You're, you're going to be there. And it's, it's, it's the other places that don't do it. Like, look at the Yankees. Look at the Red Sox. Look at the Blue Jays. Look, or Sorry, not the Blue Jays, but the, the Maple Leafs. Look at the Cowboys. Like, these large institutions that have enough always pumping in, they're kind of now the most criminal offenders of this, where it's just like well, they, they, you're they don't You're talking about fe- risk assessment. Yeah. There's no, there's no, like, the reward does not outweigh the risk, right? The risk is, mm-hmm. oh, man, swing and a miss. We, get, we gave up a generational player or we... We spent hundreds we of millions of dollars. Yeah, we... Yeah, oh, yeah, we took a big swing and it failed where, you know, we're going to have the same number of fans showing up or watching our games yep. anyways. And it's like the upside is a championship, no doubt, but we could still conceivably do that without taking the, mm-hmm. the big swing. Yeah, exactly. And there's there's no doubt, there's no downside. Like, that's, that's specifically what we're, I think, we're seeing with the Blue Jays, if we're being quite frank, right? Like, I mean, Shohei would have been a different thing. Like, the, the interest and the intrigue would have been... Uh, sky high. Um, I think that's I actually there's... the riskiest, though, because it's it's like we've seen the attendance fluctuate before, and I feel like if this starts poorly, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's this is one where, to me, the Jays it's it's not going to be great out of the gate. Like opening day will be opening day and opening weekend, whatever. Yeah. But I'm saying the first month or so of the season, I'm not sure engagement is going to be overly high. It's going to take the Blue Jays to say we're you know 12 games over 500. 
We look, the offense yeah, looks the different. Vladdy looks awesome. Yeah, it's a reactionary sports town, right? Like, it took until, like, the dying months of 2015 for, for people to start showing up uh, game day for, for the Blue Jays. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I, I'm with you that it's going to be a slow burn. Although, like, you know, you get the new 100-level seats that might be might be something that, that drives people to the ballpark, just like the out, uh, outfield districts did last mm-hmm. season. But, yeah, no, I think just ultimately there's just – you talk about the pragmatic, like the big brains that are in every front office. They just do like a cost-benefit analysis, and they they do a risk assessment. And mm-hmm. it's just the the ju- juice is not worth the squeeze for the most mm-hmm. part. Anyway, um, I want to continue this conversation because I I texted you the topic yesterday, so I hope you thought about it a little bit. But uh, maybe it's too self-indulgent. I don't know if people care, but I think they do because it gets brought up a lot. But is the is the media to is the media the boogeyman? Is the media the bad guy in the city? Next. All right. Ben Ennis, good hour. I think people who listen to us with some regularity will appreciate this. Maybe some people hate it. Maybe if you're just listening for the first time, you think, again, it's self-indulgent or that we can't even have a proper perspective on this. But I I really am going to try to be super honest. That's what I told you yesterday on the phone was, hey, be honest. Really reflect on this. Do you feel as though you have some kind of a toxic trait when it comes to covering some of these teams because nobody's perfect, right? Like there are criticisms of media and us included that I think are very fair Um, when it comes to the way we approach conversations and coverage of teams. And I'll be, I'll be, I'll be very clear. When people talk about Toronto media and they include me in it, I go, that's insane because I feel so insignificant for the most part. I know that you share some of that same sentiment, but then I go, yeah, you know, I host the Leafs postgame show and there's quite a large viewership on that, whether it's on SN now or YouTube or podcast, wherever you want to get them, subscribe and review. Uh, you host a drive show on the biggest sports radio station in the country and the country's history. So it's like, I, I don't know. I feel as though we help shape some of the narrative when it comes to this team. If we're being brutally honest, we do have some impact um, that it can resonate. Uh, I get frustrated at times when people say things like the Leafs or the media is complicit, the media is so negative, the media is a big reason why the team is losing because I grew up a fan of the team and I've just always been a big believer of, especially now, like when it was newspapers and there were massive columnists and that there were, you know, just huge, huge, huge singular places where something lived that maybe it could have more of an impact. And I was thinking about it last night. You know, it can because there's so many things now, right? Right? Between social media coverage and, like, the the, the coverage in its totality between radio, podcasts, uh, blogs, articles that are written on reputable sites, right? Um, television yeah. shows, but also web shows. That The totality of that probably does add visible up to something. Visible opinions, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, the, the amount... Visible opinions. Yeah, the amount yeah. that goes into this is, like... Is, does the coverage have some kind of negative impact on the team? Because, you know, you see the Mitch Marner quote from yesterday, and I actually think that he's referencing the fans and the media when he's saying, oh, the people outside or whatever, that uh, they're talking about it. And I've, I've always gotten really my backup to the the notion that this is somehow the players or when teams do that, when they make an enemy out of the media and the fans, where it's like, no, 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 the, those are the reasons that this whole thing exists. But I think that it's fair to try to examine what you do and how you do it and whether or not there's an unfairness or whether or not you think that there is a, an effect that it has that's deleterious to the actual on-ice product that fans want. I, 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 
listen, I'm with you. It's like it's hard enough for me to even accept that, that I'm one of the tastemakers of sports opinion mm-hmm. in the city of Toronto. But I refuse to, to believe it. That. Yeah, it, it's like beyond the pale to admit that like that's somehow impacting Mitch Marner's shambles in his brain. Like it's mm-hmm. it's I I can't. And secondarily to that, if we're talking about the one specific example of the Toronto Maple Leafs and the way that they are covered in the city of Toronto, one, mm-hmm. I think the takes are so extreme, and I don't think anybody's like making it up, right? Like I, I really don't. But I think that they're they're taken to the logical extreme because there's so much passion about that particular fan, mm-hmm. or because of that particular franchise. Like so many people that work in media are either from this region or grow up, grew up as Leaf fans and have institutional memories of. You know, sitting with their dads, sitting with their moms, sitting with their parents, sitting with their family, watching Leaf games, rooting that team on, and it being a, a big part of their personal identity mm. that they can't help but but let it rip because they know how important to like their life it might be if they ever won a Stanley Cup in their lifetime. But I think like ultimately, that's the, like, everybody wants the same thing. Like it would be, especially us, the work on radio in Toronto. Like, are you kidding? If the Leafs ever did have some success how incredible that would be for us prefer, uh, and personally we've, we've seen it with the Raptors when they won a championship how how much that did for that franchise but for us individually as far as our visibility like I went on on CNN once during mm-hmm. that run I know you did a ton of outside radio during that span mm-hmm. the idea that there would be a default to negativity by the local media, like I just logically, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, but uh, that's that's what I think we default to, though. That uh, that is the part of it I think is where that we I, default to negativity. No, no, that we default to getting defensive to that accusation, right? And that we'll dismiss some of the other criticisms that people have that I think are fair. That I, that I think that. Uh, Okay. Okay. What the like the yeah. Leafs are actually good, no, no, no. like that they have no. 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 no, 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 no. But no, no. I can, That's you can do it. two things. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, no. 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 But just follow me down the this. Incredible top end talent. Yes. Okay, but but follow me down this is that when I see someone go there, you go you're negative or negative spin. It it gets me automatically in this frame of reference of okay, you're either being positive or you're being negative, as though one of them is like a default setting that you have. The only way that you can talk about a team and you get defensive. I think or I do anyway sometimes as a media member going, that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm genuinely just trying to cover a team or share my opinion on a team as honestly as I can. Is that perfect? Do biases exist? Of course they do. Even, you know, we've, we've learned a lot about, you know, conscious bias and uh, how this operates in our daily lives. And I think what you said there about it tying into your emotions and identity and all of these different things is a really salient point because it's, it felt like you were talking to me. <laughs> it felt like you were referencing me. But it's not just you. Yeah, right? I know like, it isn't. Even people that are of not course. of our generation because yes. at least I'm one since No, 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 of, so of like, course. There's a lot of people that are older than even old man me. Of course, but I do think that if you're talking about a fair criticism, that's one of them, which is that people oftentimes who are in positions of media, and I don't view myself, and maybe this is why I make an excuse for myself at times, is that I don't view myself as like a journalist, right? Like, I'm not a journalist. I don't think my job is to report the team. I think my job is to speak as someone who grew up as a fan and who shares a perspective on the way things are done. And oftentimes, though, that does get, I think, a little bit too emotional. Sometimes that is, I, I regret certain times where I'll speak about an athlete a certain way or about a, um, a team a certain way where I go, nah, man, you know, you're trying to be passionate. You're trying to do a thing, but that was kind of unfair. And the, the measure I always have is, would you say that to someone's face? And when I feel like I wouldn't, when I feel like I would cower and not, that's when I, when I get the tinge of embarrassment for the way that I cover stuff is where I go, damn, I really was letting it rip. 
And if I was sitting down with this person, I, I would have to spend the first like two minutes going, I'm sorry, dude, I went too far. <laughs> I'm sorry. So that part of it, uh, the, the personalization and the over-familiarity that we have sometimes with these athletes and with these teams, I think that's a fair one. But the, the like negativity and the positivity thing, I think that there's two spectrums there where you can kind of identify them in coverage where there's you know toxic positivity and negativity that is also toxic. And I don't think that too many people actually live in the lines of that performative element when it comes to coverage, meaningful coverage of a team. I think there's a few people who have found pockets in both sides and they've done well for themselves. But for the most part, most people are somewhere in the middle where they just, you know, they're defaulting to what their actual genuine setting is. The problem with the Leafs is like, they've, they, they're not a normal franchise. No, that's it. They've they've lost since 1967. They're like what? <laughs> they, okay. they, they've lost six consecutive winner-take-all yeah. games in the postseason. They have. They are honoring the 1967 Leafs at the NHL All-Star Game, which to yeah. any other fan base in sports would be a, just a beautiful moment. You should do that. Yeah. Wow, that's great. Yeah. There's a lot of guys that people should remember here because they were the foundation. And to us, to, to the Leafs fans, so often the response that I've gotten from friends, family members, people who... It's like, damn, this is kind of embarrassing. This is a self-dunk because it's a reminder that they haven't won since 1967. And to me, I, I think that we at times, though, can get bogged down in that. Like, are you being too positive? Are you going to be too negative? You can make yourself too self-important and then you can dismiss the criticism because you're like, damn, I was, I'm not that. I'm not that person. And then you kind of miss the things that you could be doing better in covering these teams and, and discussing these narratives and these stories. I, I know, I know, yeah. And, and you... I, I bet a lot of things are more passionate than I, but I know both of us when we when we try to come to the conclusion of where we land in evaluating our, our uh, sports analysis, try to be as truthful as possible. But I think we, most people are doing that in this media market with this hockey team. Like I don't, I genuinely do not think that there are that many boogeymen that are are actually rooting against the team or hoping that the negativity that, overcomes them I because it's better some, for clubs. Some, by the way. Like, yeah, like, not better for clicks, but I know people who are, like have a, a bias against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yes, like, but wouldn't that. but wouldn't you say that there is actually more people in media now that are fans of the team, like you just outlined, yes. that would benefit greatly yes. from them being better? And there's actually yeah. more toxic positivity sometimes, where it's like people afraid to actually be critical of certain players and certain elements of the team, like. They pick on something because they go, well, this is where you can have the outlet of the quote-unquote negativity or the the extra bias coverage. But there's other stuff. Like even when the Nylander contract happened, there's like a large portion of people that went, this is totally great. This is amazing for the Leafs. And you went, mm. I mean, they, we actually have evidence as to, I mean, the answers to some of your questions. Yeah. One is like if we really think that the outsized negativity of the media market impacted the product that we see on the ice, then we would have seen, well, one, like a head coach – like Sheldon Keefe would have been fired and like Kyle Dubas would have been fired before he like overplayed his hand. And like one of the members of the core four being shipped out of town, like they, we just haven't seen that. Like if the, if the, if the market was so negative and so against this team, it was so sick of watching the last near decade of hockey of it, And it, and it really did impact the, the people in positions of power or the people on the ice, then we would have seen a decision made, but there's been such a dispassionate pushback from the 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 people the logic people trying to uh, uh, to to use logic to evaluate an illogical sport like hockey mm-hmm. it's yeah I, I think the evidence would suggest that no it it's not actually that impactful yeah you know where I I put the most stock into that where thinking about Boston 
look at the way they cover sports. And that's way worse. It's it's the most like toxic sports media market. It, but it's just the, the 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 freeness in which you can speak about something from a negative yeah. standpoint is it's it's broad. And they've had a ton of success. Like it, the the media coverage of these teams, which is plentiful, has not impacted any of their organizations when they've just had successful players or been well run. Right. That's I think. But what I but I what I do think, and and I really do believe this is for organizations who are not as well put together that the media stuff actually does have an impact. Like I, I think part of the reason I, I, that you can say that this is not, uh, this is me being like, I don't think I have a duty to try to gas up the Maple Leafs. Like I don't, I feel like they, they should have all their people in their lives telling them that they're great. You know, when you're an $11 million player, you're, even if you're the poorest guy in the Maple Leafs, like you're still a millionaire, essentially, who's a professional athlete, who's in their prime, who's young, who's having... A, a, yes, they have trials and tribulations, but overall, their life is much better than the vast majority of us. I, I don't feel like there should be another entity that is essentially paid, and they actually have their own because that's what team media is, right? Like uh, when it's like you have your own team website, you have a person that goes in there and tells you you're great, and they cover that, and they put out a story about you, and that's awesome. But I don't feel an... Uh, like I need to be helping the team win in some way by providing coverage that will help them feel more confident in some way or that there's less. I don't know what it is. That being said, I actually do think that with this team in particular, the way that they have built up the media and you see it in the way that these guys speak after some of their games and after some of their biggest losses, that it actually has become detrimental to them. That, there is clearly a, they've tried to use the us against the world thing that a lot of athletes use, right? Which is, hey, these people speak down on us. Look, we just saw it with Lamar Jackson, right? He wins a football game against the Niners and who does he call out? The media, right? Like that's a familiar place to be. But here, that that personalization that you're talking about and the fact that this isn't like on a national scope outside of the country, that it feels very insular with this group where it's like we have national coverage, but really it's on one team in one city this way that it, it feels more adversarial than it ever needs to be. And I think that a lot of that propagation has come from within those walls where they've been like, these are well, the bad guys, these are the villains, and this is what they do, and this is what they try to say about us, and everybody's wrong. And that, in turn, forces fans to basically choose a side at times, which is, is unique, I think, to hear, not in that it happens, but to the degree and the consistency and the amount of oxygen that it actually soaks up. Well, and and if I'm going to take it a step further and if I'm going to, uh, you know, you, you talked about good organizations, if I was going to take the thought to its logical conclusion, is it not that, you know, this organization and maybe many of the players within it are so insecure and it's mm-hmm. not such a solid yes. organization that they're like, it's, it's, you, oh, you doth protest too much. Mm-hmm. That's it. Like, the, yeah, that's. Okay. It's, it's, it's having Solve too much. It? I think it's having too much of an impact on them. And I will, like I said, I do think that there are moments, certainly in my career, I'll just speak for me personally as someone who does this stuff, that I would want takebacks. I, I don't view my analysis of this team always as like perfect or good or sometimes something isn't thought out enough or because I like to riff and I do think that the gold happens in the riffing. And that it's it's good to not you know you and I talk about this often. You don't want to shut off your passion too. No, but yeah, exactly. And great. and you want to have it where if you you have to be prepared in this business. If you're not, you end up getting exposed. But you can't. I think if you over prepare, you get you do get the paralysis by analysis thing where all of a sudden you're just like reading off a stat chart and you're going uh, and then you're you're locked in. This is what sucks for the analytics community, right? Is that yeah. they've they've made the, they've deified these numbers to the point sometimes not all of them but some of them where they go. 
well, I can't really have an opinion on what I'm seeing because what this says is what my no, opinion no is, right? right? Yeah, yeah, there's this is the evidence. This is what this is what the data, the cold hard data says. But yeah, I think at times media can be overly reactionary here. I think that we definitely go where the sure. wind blows too quickly, right? Like I don't think that no, there's a lot. No, but isn't that isn't that a reflection of just being a fan though? Like isn't, no, but isn't I, the I best? no, but I think that's a reflection of like a multitude of factors, right? Where it's like you said, it's it, this is year eight of a core, right? And so we've seen a lot of this before. This would not be the normal reaction to a three game or sorry, a four game losing streak in a market where they hadn't had the same set of top tier players, right? It's a it's, it's that you go back into this, ref, this, this reflex muscle and oftentimes you actually have to remind yourself, I think a bit as a media member of, okay, but it isn't the same, okay? Not, the problems aren't always the exact same. It's not the, ex, you, don't, you can't lazily go to the, the problem always being, it's the core four. Like the other night, Matthews and Nylander, or sorry, Matthews and Marner specifically were brilliant. And, and Nylander actually numerically against the Oilers had an awesome game when it comes to zone entries and exits and opportunities that he created it's like there's a there's a strong case that he played very well in that hockey game and yet you know those guys took the most heat from that game and they continue to take heat from that game and i go all right sometimes it's lazy and sometimes i like i'm I'm guilty of that too but boy i i really do think that it it has gotten it's gotten to a point where i think it it doesn't serve any party well like i don't think it serves the teams well i don't think it serves the fans well i don't think it serves the the media members well like it's it's kind of all of the, the the discourse of like how much the media impacts them, like coming from the team, the oh, the media yes. members' defensiveness about it, the fans' reflexiveness of just being mad about it's it. It's one guy. It's it's one guy, and maybe I don't okay, think it is one guy. It's not. It's not. It's not. I've I've heard over and over and over and over again. Is like this is a this is a deep seated thing one, within the like, old, entire Turner organization. Is the one guy that is is not afraid to. No, say it's, it's it goes no, it goes way media. above him. It goes way above him. It goes all the way to the top. Yeah, well. Okay, and you're talking about Brendan Shanahan? Talking about every single... I'm saying that it is a pervasive issue within the building. The yeah. way that they feel about the coverage. Well, and they're, they're, not, they're not secure enough in their own beliefs and the job that they're doing that they can just say, ah, who cares what they think? Uh-huh. We, we know we're doing a good Which job. Which you, you so would like think, it, again, given our positions, you'd be like, who cares what we think? We're idiots. We're two guys that are... <laughs> we barely put a thought together. Like, I... <laughs> I thought the last hour was pretty good. Yeah, I know, but come on. Overall body of work with you and I is not exactly <laughs> you and I. The overall body of work is it's, that's the thing. You'd be able to point to be like, oh, the guy that said this, and you go, yeah, that guy. You go, oh, well, then forget it. Who cares? Yeah, it's gone. Anyway, subscribe to this podcast, leave five stars. Benny, thanks for the time, brother. And uh, yeah, we got to go because we got to tape Jail Sonnen and Dragus Duplessis, which are both on the show tomorrow with Jeff Saturday. So big Friday show. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.